0: Good morning. morning. He's here to be in his place to open his word, and see what he has for us. You know, this morning, this passage, uh, there's a bit of history. This is kind of going to be a history lesson. And by the way, this will be on the final, so take good notes. Um, it's a bit of a history lesson. You know, chapter 8 is kind of the central part of a large piece of... What God is doing with His people. Um, The the government of of the people at this time in Israel was uh, kind of along the pattern of what Moses had. Uh, Moses, when he led the the people out of Egypt, um, he was driving himself nutty. He was—they would come to him with their grievances. They'd come to him with, you know, family problems. They would come to him when there was not enough water. They'd come to him when they didn't have the real good taste for manna anymore. They wanted something else to eat. They'd come to him with all this stuff. And his father-in-law says, Moses, you're driving yourself nuts. Figure something else out. So why don't you set them up by groups of 50 and set somebody over those groups of 50 and then set somebody over a group of those groups and then somebody over a group of those. And then you just administrate the, the organizational chart. And that's how you'll be able to do this. I'll speak to you, and you speak to the people, and have each of these people over the groups uh, mediate and, and uh, uh, instruct the people in what they should do, and we'll be able to take this on. Because there were millions of people that he had to oversee. So you can imagine what kind of a nutty lifestyle he had. And so when the people came into the land, they sort of just continued that pattern. Uh, In fact, if you look in your Old Testament, there's a book called Judges. Well, Judges was about these people that in the manner and means of what Moses did, they oversaw what was going on, and God spoke to them, and the, the government, if you will, was carried out by God speaking into someone's life and then leading and administrating. And so, this was the, the, the setting of where we're at at this time. Now, there were all kinds of folks that lived around them. Uh, we'll just use Philistines um, as a way to describe those groups. But that wasn't the only people that didn't like Israel being there, um, the people being there. <coughs> and so, uh, they were at war, constantly. Constantly at war. In fact, our passage is from chapter 8 and chapter 7. Um, there was this big war. <laughs> Uh, they came to uh, the prophet, the one, the judge, if you will, the person who was, if you will, somewhat in charge, but who, who sought out God's will, and God spoke to him. This man's name was Samuel. Uh, if you were here last week, uh, Scott preached or taught on, on how Samuel came to be in his position, you know, how God spoke to him at night, and, uh, and he, he discovered that God wanted to speak to him and to have him administrate his, his government. And so, uh, uh, and the, the other thing is, so let's define a couple of things. What is a prophet? Well, Samuel was a prophet. He's also a judge. So I think we need to now understand what those words mean. A prophet, what that means is, is um, you know, you, mostly we, we think of a prophet as somebody who foretells. You know, God tells them that something's going to happen, and then people prepare for that thing, or they repent, and so it doesn't happen, or whatever. That's prophecy in, in the kind of the common way we understand it. But more commonly, prophets spoke the word of God. They were in prayer, and Scripture ta- shows us that sometimes it's a verbal communication. Sometimes there's other means, but God spoke into a person's life. And then they spoke on behalf of God before the people. So that then God's will would be, would be uh, followed. That is prophecy. Um, it, it's, it's a little scary to realize that when you preach, you're prophesying. <laughs> but nobody called them I or anybody else. <laughs> Don't call us prophets. But nonetheless, when you speak the word of God, that's what you're doing. You're prophesying. That was Samuel's job. And, and so in this passage, it says the elders came to Samuel and said, Appoint a king for us. So those elders would have been the people that are over the 50s and over the 200s and over the whatever. That's the administration of the government, if you will. They were the ones that would listen to what Samuel had to say, take that message down to the different places throughout the country so that people would then be able to follow God's plan for them. And all these guys came together um, with Samuel and said, appoint a point of king. Now, there's three reasons. Um, Samuel had appointed his two sons to be uh, judges in the, the city of Beersheba. Beersheba is on the very south. And so Samuel lived up in the north, so it was difficult for him to be in Beersheba, you know, and running around all over the country. So he appointed his two sons. Well, his two sons apparently were raised right, because there's nothing in here in Scripture that says, it's woe on you, Samuel, you did not raise your boys right, and now they're doing bad. Because if you remember, Eli, his two sons in last week's passage, Eli was very permissive father and so his sons grew up being not all that they should have been and he was punished for that Samuel wasn't punished for what his sons did but they decided that it was an opportunity to be a judge to make money so they took bribes. you know if there's two people that were having a dispute if one side was pretty rich they give one of these sons money and he go oh of course you're, you're absolutely right this other person's wrong you can see how that would go. So one of the reasons that they came and said the appointed came to us is because Samuel's sons weren't doing what they should. They didn't follow the way that Samuel was following. They weren't prophets, if you will. The second thing is they said, Samuel, you're old. That's a tough one because at this point, Samuel is probably somewhere around 55 to 58. I'm, you know, if you're in that age group or above, you're... Too old? What are you talking about? <laughs> that would kind of hit me. I'm a little older than that. But they said, you're too old. You know, you, you can't any longer. You don't understand what's going on. Things have changed. You know, we have internet now and cable. But they are you're, you're too old. You don't understand. Things are different. We need somebody else. We need something better. We want to be like everybody else. We want a king. <coughs> Everybody else has kings. We don't have a king. Now remember, the previous chapter, there was this big battle. They came with Samuel. They said, Samuel, the Philistines are attacking us. It's going to be terrible. We're going to get wiped out. We've already lost a bunch of cities. What are you going to do? Samuel prayed. God fought the battle. They got their cities back. And they chased the Philistines away. In the next chapter, they want a king. It's interesting, isn't it? Well, the reason that we're looking at all this history, too, is, as Scott has said, is that, you know, to know Jesus is, you know, it's, it's really a good thing to know David. And to know David, then you have to know how David came to be in the place that he was. And this is a part of that history. Um, David became king in the right time. The people wanted a king, but it wasn't the right. See, God had promised that there would be a king. You go back in the the older uh, passages like Numbers and and, uh, Deuteronomy and so on. There there is a promise that there will be a kingdom that will last forever. There's a kingdom, there's a king. But the people wanted a king, and so it was out of the proper timing. They, They come to Samuel. Samuel gets ticked. It's like, hey, come on, you know, we've got God. We've got, you've got me. I'm not too old. (laughs) No, we want King. And and because he's upset, he goes to God and he prays to God in his anger, and his his disappointment at the rejection of the people. And he cries out to God, God, what, what do you want to do? And God said, as you heard in the passage, listen, Samuel, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Give them what they want. <laughs> well, there's a big thing. People were rejecting God, and instead of God getting angry, He said, "Give them what they want." Now, Scripture talks about a lot of times judgment that God brings on people. And you know, if you've been in, if you've been alive for any time in the recent times, people always think the church is full of judgmental people. You know, because judgment is is what they think the Bible's all about. Judgment, judgment, judgment. You know, one of the things that God did uh, repetitively when people wanted to do something or apart from his will is he'd just say, Go ahead and do it. Have as much as you want. When the people in the wilderness didn't like manna anymore, they said they didn't they said, give us something else to eat, so they, he gave them these burners, this fowl, and it says that they ate so much of it they were vomiting through their nostrils. Now that's eat, overeaten a lot when you get to that point. You know? and, and so it, repetitively God says instead of judgment on you I'm going to give you what you want just go ahead see how that works for you that's awful that's horrible <laughs> judgment by permissiveness wow and so he says just go ahead give them what they want So, if you then go through the rest, chapter 8 is just a way to kind of introduce this larger passage, which goes to about chapter 14, where Saul is the one that is found and chosen to be king. Um, Saul, it says, was taller than everybody else in the kingdom. He's good looking, strong, articulate. And somewhat humble. When they wanted to have him anointed to be king, he was hiding with the baggage. had to go find him. (laughs) He he wasn't ready to have all this responsibility put on himself. But he did. He became king. And becoming king, the first king in this this place, is kind of a difficult thing. There's not really a pattern to follow. Um, There wasn't really a laid-out course of action that he was supposed to do. Um, he wasn't even sure of what he was supposed to say, you know, to these people. But they were at war, and so that became his his platform, if you will. Um, Saul also, uh, just so you know, timing around all this stuff, Saul ruled for about 10 years before David was born. Okay, And then he ruled in total about 43 years. So 10 years before David was born, Then David's born, and then about 11 years later, that whole story that we're going to get into next, he gets anointed to be king. So about 21 years of the 43 years, so about another 22 years before David becomes king is what happens. So this is all the history around this. And and then apparently Saul did some good things that doesn't record it. Apparently he did some... Other things, and it just doesn't record. There's ten years of no recording of what takes place up until our next events, if you will. So, <clears throat> I don't know if you notice in a lot of the psalms, it talked about king. You know, Jesus as king. Jesus as king. This whole concept of king. <clears throat> when when I was first to cite this. Scott said, "Would you preach on, you know, the, the, the choosing of Saul as the first king, and then reading that, the history of it?" I was like, "This, this is kind of difficult. There's a lot of politics in here, and it sounds really similar to a lot of politics of the current age. How do I keep that out of what we talk about?" But you know, it's interesting. It's not, nothing's really changed. You know, we we want people to represent us who represent the things that we want. But we're people, and we don't all agree, so not everybody perfectly represents all the things that people want. At least when we choose to have a king that's not God. The other thing is, too, it mentions in here that God says, you know, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me, because they followed after the local gods. I guess we should talk about that a little bit, too, because it kind of fits into this whole... Political reality of which in which they lived, and that is that there was a a god called Baal, B A A L, that they followed. That was a Philistine god. That was their enemies, but they they kind of liked this god, this god. Uh, And so that some of them would would build a little, they called them um, household idols, that they put in their house to protect their house. And one of them was Baal, and um, the word Baal just means master. uh, it was also a word that was used to describe husband. <laughs> Wives was often called their husbands, bail. It's weird. That's just weird. But nonetheless, so bail was one of them that they they followed, um, and another one was Ashtaroth. Um These these just about every household that have one of these idols in there, just to make sure they covered all the bases. That's interesting. You know, and of course, we don't do that. We don't do that in the modern age. We don't have little statues available in Ashroth. but I think if we look at these folks, I guess this is what I'm trying to say is that if we look at these folks, we we have to say, gee, those folks really did. that was bad because look at all the bad things that happen when we have a king. We'll get into that in a second. But they were rejecting God, and and why would they do that? And and then why would they have all these idols in their houses? And why can't they just, you know, focus a little bit? And I think this is an important thing for us to recognize in that, and and this isn't a judgment, It's it's just an observation, that it's not that uncommon for us to find things that we think are important exciting pleasurable helpful cover the bases right? mean, yeah, this is what it is and when God says that they're rejecting me and they're you know they're following after all these other things and they're being distracted and they're not they're not really understanding what's what is important here he doesn't just wipe them out he doesn't send floods and you know fires and famines and so forth. He said, just, okay, it's okay. Give them what they want. I've got a plan around that. I have grace for that. I have love for them still. You see, the the thing I love about Scripture and about how God works with us is that He doesn't expect us to suddenly go, boom, I'm a prophet. Or, boom, I know everything there is to know Boom, I can heal the sick. Boom, I can give that sight to the blind. Let's do that. He says, Let me let me okay, let's okay, let's figure out where you're at. that's that's why don't we come along? If you want a king? Okay, I'll give you a king. I had a plan for a king, it wasn't right now, but I'll I'll work with this. I'll give you grace in this. Because that permissiveness that I mentioned before also is filled with grace and judgment, both. A better way to say it is grace and truth. The New Testament talks about grace and truth all the time. Grace and truth. It's like Jesus said to the woman at the well, here's your sin. I love you, I give you grace. The woman that was caught in adultery and brought before him, they all wanted to stone her. He says, okay, all you guys, you who has no sin, you really go ahead and throw the first stone says they dropped from the oldest to the youngest. They dropped their stones and went away. <clears throat> Grace. And then he says to the woman, where's your accusers? Say not here. She, he says, I don't accuse you then either. Go and don't sin anymore. Wow. Grace and truth. He didn't say you didn't do what you did. He said, just don't do it anymore. Grace and truth. See, God's doing the same thing here with people. He's saying, okay, the truth is I have a plan about kings. This isn't it. But I see that you're anxious for something different. You're anxious for change. You're anxious for something. Okay, I'll give it to you. It's not what's best. Grace and truth. As we know, Saul... was not the best. And and God warned him. He said to Samuel, tell him, tell him what kings are going to do. Tell him what kings are about. Kings are about a tenth of your best of your crop. Kings are about having a court. Therefore they need men and women who will fill that court. So your sons and daughters. Kings are about <coughs> fighting wars. They're going to... And chariots and, and implements of war and so there's gonna be taxes. There's gonna be they're gonna to have to pay for that. That's what kings are. And kings are just people, they're just men. <coughs> they'll be good, they'll be bad, they'll do crazy things, they go crazy. Saul went crazy. Uh, if you read on, Saul did he went crazy. That's what that's what kings are. I think this is an important part of scripture that fits in with this thing too. It says, Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And arrayed him in in a purple robe. These are, a purple robe was a sign of uh, royalty. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews! And to give him blows in the face. And Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus therefore came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man! Behold the man! I had a Bible College professor one time that said, in our theology class. He said, what do you think the implication is of the fact that a man sits on the throne of the universe? Well, no, God sits. Well, Jesus sits on the throne. I mean, Jesus is a man. But Jesus is the Son of God. He is fully God. But He is fully man. You hold the man. This man that we sang about that was crucified... He was a man. He could be crucified. He was a man. He was the king of the Jews. He was the king. We sang king of kings, lord of lords. King of kings. Remember the organizational chart I kind of described? He was the king of the kings. And is the king of the kings. And the lord of the lords. Behold the man. When, therefore, the chief priests and the officers saw them, they cried out, saying, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he has made himself out to be the Son of God. When Pilate, therefore, heard this statement, he was the more afraid. He's more afraid. I mean, if this is true. So he questioned Jesus further. And he brought him out again. And he says, Now it is the day of preparation for the Passover. And it was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they therefore cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. I had said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Caesar's hated that we have no king but Caesar. Also, later, these chief priests and scribes, they said, let his blood be on us and our children. Let his blood be on us and our children. God had a plan around kings. And a king, is, a king is the ruler. But Jesus did something in, that, as we see in the life of David, was begun in the life of David, that would lead to what Jesus is. See, Samuel was a prophet. He spoke God's words on God's behalf to the people that they might hear and understand and follow. They rejected that. They wanted a king. A king is one who rules. One who, in fact, they didn't, I, I don't know if you noticed in the passage, it didn't say we want a king to rule over us. It said we want a king to judge uh, over us, make our decisions for us. That's what that really means, to decide what's best. Um So kings do that. In our passage where the chief priests and the scribes are rejecting Jesus, the priests and the scribes, the holy elite, uh, were the ones who were judging at that time. There was a chief priest whose word was law. So we have prophets... Priests and kings, all who have had power and authority and dominion over the people. Paul says Jesus is our chief high priest who knows all things that we suffer and struggle with. He is our king, he is our Lord, because he's been appointed by God to be that perfect ruler. He's a prophet because Jesus said himself, "I have nothing to say except that God tells me. Everything I do, I do because He He instructs me. I do nothing by myself." And a priest offers sacrifice on behalf of the people. He offered himself. People who were asking Samuel appoint a king over them, they didn't know what they're asking for. Jesus said, "Forgive them; they don't know what they're doing." And as we continue in our study, we're going to find that Jesus, that God decided to choose David because David, it says in Scripture, had a heart after God. We're going to find that David did a lot of things that are not recommended. <laughs> he had things in his life that we could recognize as being sinful, and yet grace and truth was the true, true reality of his life. To know David begins the process of knowing who Jesus is and what he fulfilled. He fulfilled the role perfectly of the prophet and is the the culmination of all prophecy. He fulfilled perfectly the role of king because he rules with truth and love. And he fulfilled the role of all priests of all times because he offers sacrifice on your behalf himself. So as we learn about David, we learn about Jesus, and as we learn about who Jesus is through David, we come to understand that grace and truth is our true reality as well. We can't escape it. We cannot escape it. <coughs> There's a lyric in a song that I love, and it's an eagle song. Well, it's actually one of the eagles. And he says, you know, it's... The song is about forgiveness. It's about forgiveness. And he says, you know, sometimes we just follow the wrong God's home. Sometimes we follow the wrong God's home. Sometimes we choose the wrong kings. Sometimes we find ourselves in places it just shouldn't be. And yet God's love and grace has already been bestowed in fullness nothing has been left out it's all been fulfilled we just need to follow him and he rolls it out a little bit at a time so that we can come to understand I was talking to Roger Woodworth last week and said this it was in a different context but I've been thinking about it all week he said you know with years comes age, with age comes experience, and with experience comes wisdom. Samuel, you're too old. We want you. As we grow in Christ, each of us in our own path, God is with us. Don't expect to be like others. Don't long to be like others. (coughs) Don't look at others and want what they have. Because God is working with you, He's working with your heart, He's working in your life. Struggles do come, wars do come, difficulties do arise, things fall apart people die. And yet God is with you in spirit and in truth and in grace and love making you to be who you need to be in him. Heavenly Father, we ask that you rule in our life. That you be our king. We're confused often by the culture around us. We're confused about the disagreements among us, discouraged sometimes. And Lord, we often want our way. And so Lord, we pray for your kingship. In our hearts. Not that we might become better than one another <laughs> and, and then be able to judge, but that we might come to understand that you are working in us individually. That you want our hearts to know you. It would be easy for us, Lord, to preach the word of abstinence or throw it away, It's pointless. We pray that our hearts will be attuned to you, (coughs) that our walk will be in your paths for the sake of righteousness, for your glory. And, Lord, let us live as people of truth, knowing that we are not perfect or will we be perfect, but that you are, and that you love us so much you give us grace. And by knowing how much you love us and how full and complete your grace is for us, we ask that we then could love one another from that and be unified in you. As we pray these things, Lord, for you. Each heart hears encouragement. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ.